Hope Center. 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 I come with you today with the title of a message called The Small Giant. Say The Small Giant. The small giant. Now, grammatically, that may seem a little weird. How can a, a giant be small, correct? Mm -hmm. You may be asking that. Well, I'm glad you're asking that because we have one of the best examples ever annotated or written in the history of humanity. Because often we hear of stories called the underdog. You ever heard of that? Mm -hmm. The underdog story? Yeah. We hear how the less favorable can achieve great feats overcoming seemingly impossible challenges. Stories of people who were counted out, stories of people who no one believed in, of people who just no one would bet a dime on to win. Yeah. Honorable mentions, Rocky Balboa versus the Russian in Rocky IV. The Mighty Ducks. And even the fact that Jack became the person that Rose would fall in love with on the Titanic. Now, that one is left to argue because I do believe there was room on that table. On. Now, yeah. that's not here or there. I digress. Listen to me. Brands have become masters at using the underdog concept to captivate attention, to captivate the storytelling uh, intention of a story, and to make you think, wow, anything is possible. I can do what that person did when all the odds were against them. Mm -hmm. Now, to us believers, who is a believer? Raise your hand right there where you are and in this room, who is a believer? To us believers, readers of the word of God, we know that this concept is not new. In fact, all of these underdog stories were derived from inspirations of the Bible. So when the marketing uh, protocols and the propaganda uses the underdog effect to uh, uh, create enthusiasm or create a following, know that they're copying scripture. You want proof? Let's go there. But before we do, I want, to I want you to understand that this is not a new concept to us. Why? Because the underdog has been portrayed in the Bible many, many, many times, many, many, many times. And maybe you're going through a season where you feel like that, that I've just described, that no one's betting on you, that no one believes in you, no one's counting you in, no one's considering you. They just don't even hit you up when it's time to go bowling because they think you're going to strike out every single time. Yeah. Well, a strike is a score. Never mind. But see, I want to release something for 20 people that will accept this right now that are watching, that the author and consumer of our faith is not done writing that story. That God has more for your life. Your underdog story is a setup for greatness in the mighty name of Jesus. Thank God for those 20 that received it. You will be blessed today. Now, the best parts of our story are still be being written. If you've been in that position of being an underdog, glory to God. As we're going to learn today, it's a powerful place to be. The scriptures are full of these examples. But there was one that I was led this day, this week, to speak about by the Spirit. So allow me to take you on a journey. Hop on on my, on my school bus today, my cheese bus. There's no seat belts. Uh, the seats are broken. You know how it is when you were back in school. I rode one. And so hop on onto that bus. I'm going to stand up now. And I want to pr bring your attention to the first book of Samuel, chapter 17. If you have a Bible there, if you're taking notes, uh, note takers go to heaven first. And so I want to set the scene, and we are in the Valley of Ella. Somebody say Ella. E-L-A-H. E now, the scene is two opposite mountains and a valley in between. 
On one mountain on top of it is the Israeli army. On the other mountain on top of it is the Palestine army, the Philistines, okay? Everybody copy? Yeah, yeah. And in between there is a low valley. Now this place, Ella, was a rocky, slopey terrain. It was not flat or easy to navigate unless you were either a goat or lived in that area. So it was not easy to come there. Now, the scene also describes in uh, the first book of Samuel, chapter 17, that these two armies came together for an encounter. They were there to do battle. They were not there to be friends. They were not there to play checkers or whatever you may think that they would be do, uh, doing there. They were there to fight, to kill each other for territory, for power. It is important to note that the army of the Philistines was the one coming into the land of the people of Israel to issue this battle, to issue this situation that was going on. In verse eight, in verse four, as the two armies are encamped at the top of these two mountains, it, descri it describes somebody named Goliath. Mm -hmm. Say Goliath. Goliath. Now, before I go further, you're probably thinking, well, you know, I've heard that story many a times before. That may be so, but I come to challenge the way you understand that story today. I come to offer a new perspective of the underdog theory or concept. This giant, this champion, comes forth. His height is nearly 10 feet. He is wearing 250 pounds of iron-clad armor. His shield is bigger than most men. He wields a spear that is taller than most men and a sword that I could not even pick up. He is guided by an armor bearer as he comes to and from, and he presents down to between his ranks and issues a challenge. Now, to every good underdog story, we need three components. Say three components. The first component is that we need a challenge. Rocky Balboa was challenged to fight the Russian because the Russian killed his friend in Rocky IV. You following me so far? The challenge in this case is this Philistine warrior named Goliath coming down from this mountaintop to defy the armies of God. Listen close. And for 40 days, this giant would descend from the battle, escorted by his armor bearer, and he would come up to the valley and he would yell out, who will challenge me on one-on-one -on -one combat? Who will fight me one-to-one? -one? And if whoever wins, they will be the servants of the other. If the Philistines win, if I kill that Israel warrior, you will serve us. Now, if you win, we will serve you. Now, that is quite a challenge, would you say? Yeah. That is quite a steep challenge, being that this was a monster of a man. It's safe to say this was a big dude, a massive guy. You know, I would not fight him if I didn't know what I'm about to share in the future. But if I was just thinking in my carnal spirit, no way, Jose that I would fight a dude this big. For 40 days, he does this. He comes out of his camp, comes down to the valley, and he defies and disrespects the army of Israel, saying that none of you could beat me. None of you could kill me. None of you, this army is nothing. Now he's talking about the army of God. Little does he know that he made the biggest mistake of his life. The biggest mistake of his life. He opened his mouth not knowing who and what he was talking to. Yeah. See, challenges and problems will arise in our lives, whether we like it or not. Yeah. That late mortgage payment, mm. that high credit card interest, mm. 
that never ending student loan. That engine check engine light that comes on and you keep erasing it and it keeps coming on and you keep erasing it and it keeps coming on. It's about to blow up, baby. The challenge will come. But it is what you do in that challenge that determines the kind of person and character that you have within Christ. Now, often we find that the bigger the problem, the bigger the fear. You follow me so far? See, no one had even ever even seen this giant fight. There were thousands of men on the side of Israel, frightened for 40 days. Even the very king Saul, the leader of that army, who in fact was described to be a tall man himself, taller than anybody in his camp, an experienced warrior. Yet he didn't take up the challenge. Yet he didn't step up to meet this foe. Yet he, with all of his experience, and maybe, hypothetically, in equal size to this monstrous man, still did not decide to fight. So for 40 days, thousands of men hid in the shadows, hid in their camps, hid afraid that no one would be able to beat this man. You ever been afraid of a problem that makes you hide? Come on, let's keep it real. You know when they're coming to get you or something's coming to get you? When that person you owe 20 bucks to and you're walking to them and you hit that. Okay? They were afraid of this giant. Now, we must learn, point number one, to accept the challenge. If no one is there to accept the challenge, these 40 days would have turned to 60 days, 80 days, 100 days, whatever have you. And see, here's the problem, and I want to speak to somebody watching me or in this room. Your challenger, your Goliath has held you down far too long. You have been afraid far too long, but we come to break that in the mighty name of Jesus today. You hadn't even seen how big the problem is or even seen the guy kill another man, and they were so afraid. We get so mentally intertwined with our fear that we don't even know that, how to justify the fear. That giant could have been paralyzed for everybody knew. And they just had him standing there with sticks and, and glue. But they were just so scared of him by the reputation, by the words coming out of his mouth, by the threats coming out of his mouth. See, because the devil's going to come and try it and come in your land to threaten you. But all he can do is run his mouth at you. He ain't ever going to do nothing. And so this goes on for 40 days. No one from the camp of Israel arises. Not the best, most experienced warriors. Not the most acclimated and decorated warriors. No one came up to the challenge. Because the second part, the second component of a underdog story is that there must be a contender. When Apollo Creed was killed by the Russian, Rocky said, no way. It ain't going down like that. I'm going to accept the challenge of dethroning that Goliath that keeps running his mouth at me and my people. Now, I understand. I have been there many times where I am afraid. Any real man will admit that. Any true woman will admit that there are times where you're afraid. If you've never been afraid, you's not from here. I don't know where you're from, but I want to speak to somebody's spirit. It is okay to be afraid. It is not okay to stay in your fear. The second point is that you must become a contender. Now, what is a contender? A challenger to the challenge, amen? Mm -hmm. 
It is somebody saying that there's a challenge at hand, I will be the one. Now it's not easy to become the contender when you are afraid, when you've never fought before, when that problem or that giant, that Goliath in your life seems so impossibly undefeatable, so monumentous and mountainous that you can never come against it. It's easy to say, ah, it's not me. That is not my battle. I'm going to wait for somebody else to come up and take this challenge, to take my place. Now, if you are a Bible-believing Christian that believes in the power of God, that is not your portion. I'm talking to somebody here because they left me here. It is not your portion to let someone else come and fight the battle you were born, anointed, assigned, and commissioned to do in the mighty name of Jesus. The contender of this story is a young man who appears in verse 12 of chapter 17 by the name of David. We've heard his name before. The Bible describes this young man to be healthy, strong, with beautiful eyes. Some translations use the word glow, glowing. Sorry, I thought they were talking about me for a second. <laughs> and it says that David, I digress, and it says that David, come back to me, and they said David spends most of his time tending to his father's sheep. He is a simple shepherd. He is from this land. He knows the rocky terrain. He tends sheep up and down this terrain. He takes care of them, and he spends most of his day with them. He was in no means, shape, or form a trained military tactician or warrior. He had never swung a sword in his life before. All he ever carried was a staff, a pouch, and his little sling. In fact, his brothers were off at this battle camp that was afraid of this challenger, of this big bad dude. And he was left back because he was the youngest, the smaller guys. See, people gotta stop playing with these people that are small in their attitude or small in their energy or small in their character in the sense that they don't go out making too much noise. You gotta be careful because those are some of the most powerful people that can exist. So you see, big things come in small packages. So people got to stop playing with me because I'm 5'6". <laughs> Jesus. On a distinguished day, David's father orders David to come and gather food, cheese, bread, supplies, and to run off to the camp to feed his brothers and bring back good news. David was a good son. He was a simple man. He's a man of the field. Nothing to write big stories about as of yet. So he does as his father does, any good son does. And he gathers this stuff, and he gathers the food and the supplies, and he runs off to the battle line, to the battlefront. And he meets up with his brothers, and he drops off the food, and he's fellowshipping and just having a great time with his brothers. When all of a sudden, he becomes aware of Goliath. He becomes aware of the challenge. And he begins to ask questions. Now, you might be thinking he was a little foolish for asking questions about something that could potentially kill him. But see, you're not understanding David. You're not understanding the way he thought, the way he moved, or what was in him and who was over him. You're not understanding that David began to ask questions because David understood that eventually he would grab the ear of the king. He began asking all of the military people who were hiding in the shadows, so what if I were to kill this giant? What would I get? What if I, me, would have killed that guy? What's in it for me? 
And they begin to tell him that the king has offered glory and riches and the hand of the daughter was, I'm presuming, beautiful, hopefully, if that was one of the rewards. And so David's like, wait a minute. So you mean to tell me that this Philistine, this defiler, see, David was a man of God. David wasn't the type to let anybody run their mouth towards the things of God, towards the people of God. He had zeal for the things of God. He was a protector of the things of God. He was a believer and somebody that says, that ain't going to go down. He was our Rocky Balboa. And so when he hears the words being spewed out by this monster, by this malcriado, just saying all of these bad things, he says, wait a minute. Is no one going to stand in, in the gap and fight for the justice of the armies of God? Does he not understand who he's talking to or talking about? Yet he was the only one, this shepherd, simple young boy, that had that concept in his spirit. While everybody else was clamoring in fear and gathering about, man, which way you going to go if this brother jumps at us? <laughs> See, sometimes instead of reverting back to who we really are, we go to people to be like, hey, what's the easiest, fastest way to get out of this problem without me having to do anything? I'm, I'm David continues to ask questions. And so he asked the same question to a different guy and he knows he's gonna get the same answer because eventually what do people do? They talk. And so word gets around the battle camp that there's this young, beautiful guy walking around the camp asking what happens if he kills Goliath. Eventually, the gossip and the news reaches the king, and the king sends for him. Big old King Saul, the fearful king. And he says, young boy, why do you keep asking these things? Why do you keep coming here? And in verse 32, David says to the king, watch the wisdom in which this young man speaks. Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. The king now replied, you're not able to go against him. You're only a young man. And he has been a warrior from his youth. All right, park the bus. Everybody pull the emergency brake. We're going to park it here for a second. The king could not have been more incorrect with the reply he gave David. See, because when you tend sheep, you're out in the wild. And in the wild, anything could happen. You can see anything in downtown D.C. That's the wild where we live in. <laughs> or wherever city you're watching me from. Anything could happen. So as this young man spends the most of his life up until this age tending sheep in the wild, he ran into some lions. He ran into some bears. And these lions, these bears, they didn't come to chit-chat with him. They came to take his sheep. But he said, not gonna happen. And so David then replies to the king in verse 32 and he says, but king, when the lion came for my sheep, I met it and I killed it. When the bear came for my sheep, I confronted it and I killed it. God delivered me from the paw of the beast. God will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Wow. This is a young, unseemingly powerful man that no one knew who he was up until a couple of minutes ago because he started asking the right questions. So he was able to speak with such wisdom to this king and realize, hey, brother, you may not know me, but I've been in battles before. 
I haven't swung a sword, but I've swung my faith. I haven't sworn a spear, but I've relied on God to pull me through. So this Philistine is no different, no bigger, no better, no angrier, no more powerful than the bear and the lion that I have already killed. So I need somebody to start speaking like that, that are watching me in this room. I need people to start understanding that what you've been through in life is your military training. Yes. That what you've gone through, the giants you face, the bear or the lion has prepared you. Yes. So when these people, the king himself says, you can't do any of this, mm -hmm. you're too simple. You've never fought before. Yet again, nobody ever saw uh, the giant Goliath fight, mm -hmm. but they believed his reputation not this young man. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. Do not be discouraged. And you don't need nobody to believe in you. When you know, when you know, when you know, when you know what God can do through your life. So the king is taken back by this wise response and he says, wow, in all of my camp, no one has spoken like this. In all of my camp of warriors, no one has had the audacity nor the courage to say, I will go, your servant will go. When someone else is in trouble, have you been the first to go and help them fight? Mm -hmm. don't, you don't have to answer. But when there's been an issue, have you been easily motivated to become the contender? Mm -hmm. Even if there's nothing in it for you. Wow. Let us ask ourselves that today. And so the king allows David to become this contender. Now watch me very closely. Listen, even though he allows them, even when people start to believe in you, they still may have doubt in you. Right. Even when people be like, okay, you want to go? I'm with you. They'll still doubt with, they'll still have doubt over your life. Mm -hmm. Pay attention. Pay attention. The king says, okay, go before you do. He dresses him with a chain link armor. A coat of armor. He straps on this sword to David. And he gives him all of these tools. And he says, okay, now you're ready. As if he were the one to qualify David for when he is or is not ready. And so David has all this stuff on. And then all of a sudden he tries to move. And he's, he can't move. Mm -hmm. He can't move from left to right. He can't bend down. Someone who's used to climbing rocks, fishing sheep out of holes, fighting lions, doing cartwheels, whatever, yoga, whatever you name it, he can't even move. So he immediately takes this armor off and he says, this is not for me. You see, my friend, God is asking us to understand in the spirit realm, in the matters of the spirit, that what is armor for someone else can be dangerous to you. What one person has does not mean is what you need. Come on. See, God, for those who will accept it, five, ten people alone right now that are watching me that will receive this, God has a crown assigned to you. God has armor that fits your assignment. God has armor that was tailor-made for you. God has a plan for you. So you do not have to try to look like nobody, talk like nobody, be like anybody. God has a closet for you. Somebody tell your neighbor, go into your own wardrobe. Leave my clothes alone. They're not going to fit you. And yours isn't going to fit me. And so David was so wise, so brave that he understood 
Why now would I wear the armor of someone who's afraid? What good will it do me? Why would we hide under the shadow or authority or the wisdom of someone that's afraid? Be careful, friend, of going to people for solutions that are more afraid than you. Be careful, be careful, be careful. That armor will not help you. That is not your armor. You see, David didn't allow himself to be closed with the insecurities of a warrior. He was already dressed with faith and confidence in character of a king himself. So he took all that off. El calache. Threw it to the side. I don't need this. And David proceeds to the battlefield. Watch me now. With nothing but a shepherd's staff. A pouch with five stones. Why five? Goliath had four brothers. That's too deep. We'll get into that another day. And nothing but his sling. He comes up to Goliath to meet the challenger. Saying, I am the contender. And Goliath laughs at him. See, the devil's going to try to laugh at you right after he insults you or intimidates you. To discourage you even further. Not today. And David comes up seemingly a simple man with his robe and nothing to show for himself as a warrior. And David, and then Goliath says, am I a dog that you bring a staff that you're going to beat me with? You're nothing but a young boy. You're nothing but a young man. Who are you? And David stays quiet and he lets that devil, he lets that problem just run its mouth. You got to let that problem run its mouth. You can't get that, let that get into your heart and in your spirit. See, most people are defeated with nothing but words. The devil ain't even moved a finger and you already done lost. I'm moving on. Put it back in drive. Put the bus back in drive. Ready? Let's go. He confronts the giant. In verse 45, and I want to bring that up on the screen, and I want, to, I, want to, I want to bring that up. And David says to this Philistine, it says, hallelujah, I feel the holy power of God. He says, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I, somebody say, but I, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel. Hallelujah. That was his armor. Not chain link, not swords, not shields. That was his armor. He goes on to say, this day, pay attention to how God, how this man of God places time and dates on the faith of God. This very day, people, stop playing. Don't, in one year, I'll stop drinking. In one year, I'll stop being with that person. In two months, I'll stop watching that. In, listen, this day, I will deliver you, says David to the problem. You better stop negotiating with your Goliath. You will lose. This day, you better put a time stamp. You better, you better tell it when and how that you're gonna defeat it. This day, this very day, I will give your carcasses, the carcasses of the Philistines to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Hallelujah. All those gathered here will know, verse 47, that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle 
is the Lord's and he will give you into my hands. Amen. Now, Goliath probably heard all that and he was like, okay, that's all good and dandy. I'm still bigger than you. I still got a sword and a spear and a javelin and a shield. You don't have anything. You're just words. It means nothing to me. But see, Goliath thought that he could prevent his own death by being so big and powerful. See, the devil thinks that he's going to kill you because the devil already knows a little something about you. But you got to know something about the devil is that he does not have power over your life. Yeah. Yeah. Let me read to you what it says in Ecclesiastes 8.8, 8, and it's not up on the screen. And I just want to read this to you real quick. And it says, no one has the power to prevent their death. No one has the power to overcome that dark battle. And when the day comes, wickedness will not defend the wicked. See, Goliath had it all wrong. He thought that by simply killing this, this young man or being bigger than him or being more experienced within him, he was going to take him out. He was so, so, so wrong. Goliath knew, though, that there were famous slingers in Israel. He knew about this. He's a military man. No one comes to a battle unprepared, correct? Mm -hmm. So he knew that there were people who were good at slinging stones from a sling in Jerusalem, in Israel. Yet his ego, his pride, his armor of anxiety and worry that he might be cut because of all these things he's wearing, said, I'm gonna, that, that, man, that matters nothing to me. So he approaches David with his shield of, of his helmet opened. Saying he has no weapons. Why would I cover my face? Mistake number two. See, you have to understand that the weakness of your problem is the mighty name of Jesus. That is your stone. David had his, the power of God. God is our rock. There are 59 Bible verses saying how God is the rock. And I want to break that down real quick. Why a stone? You ever ask yourself that? Why a stone? God is my rock. On this rock, I will build my house. God is the rock of Israel. I can go on and on and on and on. So listen, hear me in the spirit. No sword or spear could have ever killed that man. It took a rock. It took God to open the hole to allow the life and the spirit to leave and death to enter that man. That's why he was undefeated for so long. That's why your problem keeps bothering you. That's why you keep staying up at night. That's why you're afraid because you're swinging the wrong thing at your problem. And so it took a rock who, re who was represented by God to open up that head and allow the spirit of his life of Goliath to exit and be dead. That's why a rock and not a sword. Our rock is God himself. Amen. See, Goliath thought he could not be beaten up until that point. So David, as you know in the story, he takes that sling, swing, 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 swing. That brother made that second mistake of having his helmet up. See, the devil made the mistake of thinking that you are alone. So the devil made the mistake of thinking that you don't have praying pastors and leaders and a community of people that are love you and that are on your side and the people that are watching me. See, he made the mistake, mistake number two that the devil makes with a believer of God, that you are alone. 
and that he doesn't even have to protect himself with you. Boy, you're wrong because we fast and we pray and we battle and we believe and we fight, we fight, we fight, we fight back. You better tell your problem, I'm about to fight you. Somebody sitting here, I'm about to fight my, mm, my problem. And so just as David promised him in verse 43 and 45, it was done. He swung that stone, that stone entered the head, knocked him out. He ran up to him, grabbed his own sword from Goliath and cut his head off. Sometimes problems in life are compounding problems. You may take care of the first phase of that problem. If you don't kill it, the second part will come back. So he cut the head off for that giant to never to be, be returned, to never be a problem again, to never be an issue. Why did he use Goliath's own sword? Because that sword was meant for wickedness, for murder. And so David said, I will use your very own words, devil, to have effect on your own life. And he cut him with the very words. Because see, the tongue is a sword. And he cut him with his own lies, his own defilement of the people of Israel. He cut his head off with the very same threats and attitude that he had that were disrespectful. Then David comes out of there victorious. He parades that head all over the camp and the people begin to get encouraged and become uh, uh, ready to do battle. Oh, now everybody's ready. Right. You ever been there? Where, where it took you coming to do something and then everybody's ready. That's fine. That is what a contender is supposed to do. Kill the giant and provide hope for the rest. And so David paraded that along the army and the battle front line. And then he even brought the head to the king and then put it on a spike. Mm -hmm. Now all of a sudden, had some, everybody had something to say about David. Hmm. But you remember, David said, what's in it for me? Right. The reward. Mm -hmm. Too many people don't win their battles because they're thinking about their own ambition. See, David wasn't thinking about the ambition of the reward. He was so rooted in his faith, his ability through God, that he's like, that's just a bonus because I know I can beat him even if for free. You're not listening to me. You can beat your problem even if your credit don't come up right away. But you got to beat your problem by being responsible right here, right now. The third point is that you must accept your reward. That is the third component of an underdog story. The challenge, the contender, and the reward. In this case, it was glory, riches. It was the, the hand of the king's wife. And he was made a military officer of the highest rank in the army. He was sent to countless missions, which he failed none. Mm -hmm. Because now people knew who walked with David and, and who walked with Goliath. Now they knew that a 10 foot tall, 250 pound armor wearing man meant nothing against the power of God. Amen. It is not until you defeat your first giant that you will have the confidence of defeating the rest to come. Because rest assured, friend, there is not just one giant in life. Mm -hmm. The challenge will come. We've been fasting for 21 days. Let me open somebody's eyes up. Problems will come right after because the devil is mad. Right. Make no mistake. Now you decide how ready you want to be. Because if you're ready, you ain't got to get ready. Mm -hmm. And so David understood this. But what's important to know, friends, and I'm about to close. Friends that are watching me and people in this room, hear me clear. It takes a spirit-led person to hear of a challenge mm -hmm. and be intrigued by it. Mm -hmm. 
It takes a common person to hear the challenge and be feared and, and have fear of it. Come on, I'm going to say that again. It takes a spirit-led person to hear the challenge and be intrigued, moved to action. But a common person will hear of the problem and run. Are you common or are you a spirit-led person? The Lord is speaking to somebody right now. Make that decision this very day. There is no in-between, my friend. So I come to challenge your traditional way of thinking that would portray David in this historical moment as the underdog. An underdog implies that someone is less favorable or unqualified to overcome a seemingly impossible challenge. However, David was not the underdog all along. It was Goliath. We've been reading that a certain way, which is fine, but I wanna challenge some thinking that in fact, David had the upper hand all along. How do I know? If we look back in the beginning, we realize that Goliath had to be escorted by an armor bearer up and down the mountain. Goliath was from Gath, a coastal plain. He wasn't ready for the mountain. David was from the mountain. The devil has to come into your territory to fight you. So this is your home advantage, son and daughter of God. This is your advantage. So don't let a stranger from another land come tell you what you got to do in Greenbelt. We also realize that the previous victories of Goliath were against armored people wearing armor. See, Goliath didn't have to go nowhere, run anywhere, or be agile. All he had to do was swing the sword one time, and because of his size, you'd be dead. Mm -hmm. So he would use and he would face opponents also wearing armor. So you'd pretty much think of two sticks just swinging one stick at each other. He had never faced somebody who was agile in the spirit and in the faith of God. He had never faced you. The enemy hasn't faced the real you. Yeah. That's good. David did not require anyone to dress him to pass him a shield. David did not require an armor bearer to point him in the direction because he could not see through the small openings of a helmet. David was already seeing through the eyes of faith. David was already knew where the direction was. David knows that he's got to climb this mountain, hook a left, then a right, then come down, and he's there. The giant had no idea where he was. The devil has no idea where he is in respect to your camp, your community, your church, your family, your huddle, your marriage, whatever. David was not limited to certain weapons. David was flexible and free to move and be used by God to do the impossible. So you do not need to outweigh yourself with the armor of doubt. That is an armor. Just as there is an armor of God, there is an armor that's called doubt, insecurity, anxiety. And so what happens is, is that you keep putting every one of those plates on, you begin to get slower, heavier, and less agile. So when you get hit from various different directions, you don't know where to go or how to move. You must maintain your spirit in an agile, battle-ready formation because you don't need any of that. You have the holy, holy rock of Israel, the power of Jesus Christ himself. So again, I challenge your thinking in the traditional way about how this story is told. David wasn't the underdog all along. It was Goliath. Mm -hmm. Goliath had more problems to deal with when he faced David. Mm -hmm. David didn't have any problems to deal with. 
He was a simple man who knew one truth and one truth only. That not by sword, but by the power of the almighty, I will prevail. Listen, friend, that you're watching me. 2020 was that Goliath. There will be Goliaths in 2021. You have to understand that even though people have counted you out, they have doubted you, have called you unqualified, have called you this, that, and the other, you are not the true underdog. Because it is not you that's fighting the battle, it is God on behalf of you. Now, one of the other parts of these armors that people tend to put on is this sword of spewing out hurtful words that they think is effective against an enemy or a person. Be careful what you use your mouth and your tongue for. It could be used exactly the same way David used to cut back at you. Yet, however, if you let God speak, intervene, and work, and fight on your behalf, all you have to do is become the contender. I want to know who in here and watching me is saying, I will become the contender this season. I will become the contender of my home, of my marriage, of my community, my workplace, my school, of every aspect of my life. Now, how do we become the contender? You got to start asking the right questions eventually you will get the ear of the king the king is wanting to see who is interested and available for his matters but if you stay quiet and afraid god will never know that you're ready and willing so begin to ask the right questions what are the right questions text that person you've been thinking about during the week what can i do for you today what prayer can i say over your life if you see that person at work being that malicious co-worker, hey, let's have a conversation. Ask the right question. God is going to use you to fight that Goliath. Amen. I believe that there are small giants in this room and watching me right now. That's why David was the small giant. He had the upper hand all along. Size did not matter. Nothing mattered except his commission that was God himself. Amen. 